Welcome back to another episode of the First Money In podcast, a podcast for knowledge seekers and risk takers. This week, we talk about how the CDC abruptly reversed its mask guidance for all vaccinated Americans. We also touch on what's going on in India from a COVID perspective. Then we transition to crypto. Couldn't be a First Money In podcast without talking about crypto. Unfortunately, this past week, cryptocurrencies crash. Bitcoin saw a low of $30,000, the lowest it's seen since January of 2021. Then we end everything off talking about our winners, losers, and content. They're really, really good this week, but I'll let you find it out all the way at the end of the episode and now into the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the First Money In Podcast, the podcast for knowledge seekers and risk takers. Every other week, we come together to explore recent events in the world of startups, finance, politics, and business. Make sure you give us a follow on Spotify or Apple and share the pod with a friend if you've been enjoying the content. And with that, on this beautiful Saturday morning, I'd like to welcome my two co-hosts, Brandon Smooth Jazz Bryant and Muhan Jung, AKA Mr. COO, the operative himself. How are you doing, fellas? What up? Spring has arrived. It's so warm. It's so great to be with you guys. <laughs> awesome. As we were joking in the pre-show, last week Muhan was able to deliver a fantastic performance despite his allergies. This week, the adversity bug has hit myself i am coming to you with a bit of a hangover uh in full transparency for pod listeners that enjoy settlers of Catan. uh i would not recommend introducing a shot mechanism as part of that game so uh for settlers fans be careful out there but we've got a fantastic agenda for you today and i'm gonna go ahead and turn it over first and foremost to brandon to talk about as the great reopening occurs, as many more Americans are getting vaccinated, as the CDC is coming out with new guidelines, where we stand and what this means in the global perspective as well. So Brandon, take it away. What's going on? Appreciate that, JL. Yeah, man, there's, there's a lot going on. Uh, the CDC recently abruptly uh, reversed all the mass guidance for vaccinated Americans um last week and honestly people who are vaccinated no longer need to wear a mask indoors or outdoors or in most settings if you will and literally that is all that's all we say <laughs> there's no implementation there's no extra information there's no hey here's how you do folks who aren't vaccinated here's how you do folks who are vaccinated it was literally just hey you guys are vaxxed we're good we're almost at 50 percent of the the country being vaccinated we're open. And I think this is a very tough problem because now it leaves citizens, it leaves business owners, it leaves local and state politicians to kind of just make do with the information that's kind of been put out there. And for example, uh, Texas Governor uh, Greg Abbott, he used the new guidance to justify signing an executive order that threatens local officials and municipalities that don't drop mask mandates. So now you have people who are actually <laughs> creating legislation on top of 
guidance in saying, hey, like if you're if you're a certain local city or a business in uh, Texas and you don't drop mass mandates, you will be in trouble. You will be threatened. And this is actually legally to be enforced now. So what a lot of people are saying is like, hey, like, can we actually get strategy and implementation and at least a, a North Star goal pull to understand how things are happening here? I think two takeaways for me on, on my side. One, happy that masks are kind of going to be going away. It is, you know, it's hard to breathe, hard to breathe. And I don't like wearing masks kind of like around my apartment building. I don't like wearing them in Costco all the time, but it is safe to do. And I think still giving the right to businesses and other individuals to choose yes or no, if they want to um, wear masks, I think that's still totally fine. And I think that the second part here and something that's starting to happen is it's summer and we're gonna be going right into school pretty soon. And some people are starting schools um, early in the summer for younger students. So what does this mean for folks who are 18 and under? And then what does this mean for folks who are going back to college? We have literally no idea. <laughs> All we have is like, hey, get out there without your mask, family. And I think at this point, well over a year now, folks are comfortable with masks and folks rather be safe than sorry. We know that um, we're at, we're, I think we're coming to the kind of like end of the finish line. And it's, I think we should still be smart about how we're going to roll things out because even though we basically shipped the bed very early on, we were able to have like a comeback, <laughs> comeback win compared to a lot of other kind of countries. And you can see what countries are going through now who have been very loose and who haven't been smart about implementation, strategy, uh, storytelling around the entire situation of masks, vaccines, um, et cetera. And so I think the, the US should be very smart, very thorough about how we're going to cross this finish line because we could get in trouble and look like other countries who are now starting to have lockdowns again and having like really hard times, um, having people come in and out of the country and it's really just like starting to mess up business, it's starting to mess up lifestyle, et cetera, all over again. So I'll pass it off to the rest of the team to hear what you guys think. I'll be very brief, but just uh, on your note about Texas, I was in Texas this past week for two days. And one of the things I noticed to your point, Brandon, was very few people were wearing masks, um, especially outside. Um, I was doing apartment tours, so inside, you know, local um, apartment buildings and businesses can still mandate masks. Um, everyone was still asking for masks uh, to be worn inside, which I was I was fine with to your point. But one of the things that I think is important, and Muhan, I'll pass it over to you on this point, um, I think there needs to be an incentive for people to get vaccinated outside of believing in the science. And as you know, we'll talk about incentives later. Uh, but removing the mask is an easy way to signal to populations that the vaccines work. And um, if they didn't work and you still needed to wear masks constantly, uh, it, it might question, you know, drive a question for some people about why they would need to get the vaccine. So I know the, the U.S. has done a fantastic job uh, in getting the population vaccinated and obviously in driving lots of other incentives. But, you know, quite candidly, I think the, the best incentive for most people outside of, again, specific situations or if you're immunocompromised, you know, keep your mask on, of course. But for the majority of the population, being able to take off their mask and walk around without it and breathe fresh air is an incentive enough. Fully agreed uh, on that one, Jonathan and Brandon. I want to 
give us some somber but important comparisons to understand how different environments and different countries and different national policies are influencing COVID and how we are at different life stages and in, in, in for different people. So uh, as many of us know, India has unfortunately been going through this crisis of the COVID spread at a rate that is uh, very overwhelming and in many ways also unprecedented because India was actually one of the countries that had done remarkably well with containing COVID uh, on the first onset. So I have a, here a quote from the New York Times. Uh, they have a very good episode on the India coronavirus breakout uh, outbreak this season. And I'm just going to read that here. It wrote, it, 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 it reads, there wasn't a lot of interest in the vaccine, partly because of the sense that the pandemic was over. There was lots of doses that were going unused. There just weren't many people that were lining up to get the vaccine. And India was even exporting lots of its vaccines doses to neighboring countries because it was manufacturing so much and because there just wasn't this local demand for it. And I'll close that quote to say that I, I just looked this up. According to Our World in Data, India has only achieved a 4.9% vaccination rate. To put that into perspective, as of this week, the United States, 45% of all adults are vaccinated. And this stat was actually so exciting for me to compare. Just two months ago, we were at 25% of all adults being vaccinated. So if you watch that growth, two months ago, we we're at 25. Today, we're at call it 45, a little bit 50. There is very good evidence that even with a declining rate of adoption, by the end of summer, call it end of September, certainly by October, it would be reasonable to assume that 70% of American adults are going to be vaccinated and that that will be the true finish line. And so uh, it's it's certainly heartbreaking. And we are, we're, many of us in the tech community especially are very aware of what's going on in India. Um, dollars are going to it. There's a lot of activism to try and um, stop this humanitarian crisis from a disease standpoint, from a public health standpoint. Um, but one thing that I think even Jonathan had mentioned as well in terms of really not not only not letting our guard down, but using more innovative tools to incentivize uh, adoption and vaccination. Brandon, one of the news that you shared from uh, the proud state of Ohio about some innovation regarding vaccination. I was super excited to see it, but I don't want to steal your thunder. Do you want to let us know what your state is uh, up to? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's crazy times. We, I think we had talked about the podcast before of how uh, my buddy Justin Babe is running for mayor, and I think that he's going to have a lot of innovative ways to attract talent and investment to Cleveland. One of those ideas that we had was to um, incentivize folks to have you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars off of their student loans for living in Ohio for, or even living in Cleveland for anywhere between two, three, four, or five years. And what happened to happen was the governor of Ohio said, hey, why don't we incentivize folks through uh, monetary um, stimulus, if you will, to get folks vaccinated. So he did, I had looked at first, it was like a million dollars that they were giving. And as I had looked back up, it's close to $5 million lottery for folks who have been vaccinated to win. And I think we were looking at the details where since that was announced over, it, it was up 50%, vaccinations were up over 50% week over week since that was announced. And some people were potentially rubbed the wrong way by it. And some people were like, yo, this is 
this is literally life and death. This is Darwinism at its finest. And usually Darwinism is survival of the fittest people, like physically. But I think for this one is survival of the smartest or survival of the people who are more willing to listen. And I think with, that this is somewhat positive just for the future, because if we're going to be printing trillions of dollars of capital and just blowing it on interesting things over time, I would rather it be put towards something that's actually going to help longevity of the country, uh, physically, monetarily, et cetera. But I, then I, I think this also opens up ideas for cities to start to do this. Like Miami is already doing some very innovative things. I think cities like Cleveland and Detroit and Indianapolis and just those tier two cities that are on the same level as Austin and Miami can really start to use this as a playbook to get folks to kind of pull up, to come back, folks who are boomerangs who have been there or have family or folks who have the ability to work remotely and are gonna prioritize space, prioritize affordability and prioritize incentives. And the reason why I think this is super smart because for example, in Cleveland proper, I think it's been for at least a decade or so, there's a 15 year tax abatement. So if you build in Cleveland for 15 years, you don't really pay taxes. And for a millennial, this makes sense because I'm gonna be in this house for maybe five to 10 years. I'm not gonna even be here for a whole 15. So creating just not incentives for people who can afford to build custom houses and buy plots of land and have great credit and have access to um, you know, the financial services world, but creating incentives for people to come here and to start to really like put roots down, I think is super dope, extremely cool. And it's the future of how we start to use monetary opportunities to not only do things that are good for the greater good of the entire country, but for the greater good to expand opportunity um, in places that aren't your typical coastal cities. I will tie this together in a, in a fun way with, with maybe a, just a quick comment on Muhan and, and your past and, and what you were able to achieve in, in working with the Yang campaign. I think this is one of the first um, post-COVID, obviously it has to do with the vaccine, so it's still somewhat related, um, examples of monetary policy um, and, and health policy merging with UBI, universal basic income. I think in the presidential campaign, Andrew Yang talks a lot about UBI and introducing that as a direct payment for Americans. Um, you're seeing cities experiment with that. The stimulus sent direct checks to Americans twice. And, you know, a state like Ohio has tons of federal funding as part of their vaccine program, and they're creating incentives where they're giving money directly to individuals. So the only reason I bring that up to kind of bring it full circle is I think beyond, you know, giving someone uh, an incentive to get the vaccine, What's exciting about this and what's interesting is the relationship between government and its constituents, the relationship in terms of services and programs and the ability to go direct to the constituent, to the consumer uh, with direct financial assistance, as Brandon was giving other examples, um, is here to stay. And I think that um, is, is really exciting. Um, and I also think it relates uh, probably quite nicely to uh, cryptocurrency and how we think about uh, the crypto landscape. What a week, what a week, what a week in crypto. That's that's all the preamble I have for there. But Brandon, do you want to lead us away on that? Yeah, and just to finish up that last point, there's 
most likely the people who are most disenfranchised by, um, uh, how do you call it, like by a pandemic or by a recession, a lot of those folks probably do not have access to financial services, to banks. They may not even be banked, right? So to your point, JL, cryptocurrency, having an actual crypto crypto wallet and having access to someone to just airdrop you what whatever it may need may be is in, is very interesting and very exciting for the US but it's even more interesting and exciting for folks who don't use to don't live in the US and if they had a crypto wallet they could potentially get stable coin that is US denominated which could literally catapult them to next levels of opportunity in their lives especially if you live in India, Lagos, et cetera. Like, so there's, there's some really interesting things that can happen with mixing new technology, new ideas like UBI and financial tools or financial strategy to how do we not necessarily like just give money away, but how do we get access to all the folks who usually are underserved, overlooked during these times and help them be able to uh, be successful or at least to, to stay afloat to have an opportunity like we all should have. So super dope, super cool. Um, I'm excited about what's going on. Jumping over into crypto in the recent crash. Um, this past week, a lot of people's feathers were uh, ruffled, um, to say the least. And I'm not sure how many people huddled. You know what I'm saying? Like people talk about having diamond hands and very strong hands. I am curious if anyone uh, sold off who is in our usual uh, group of folks. But anyways, just to give you the rundown, about one trillion. So I usually say B, you know, like billion would it be, but trillion with a T, rare. Not many people say trillion in their lifetime. So be very clear, one trillion dollars of market value was erased. A staggering, like, and it was a staggering 2. trillion, 2.5 trillion dollars. The, the whole crypto market was, and one trillion of that was erased just from this last crypto crash. Forty percent of global crypto was wiped from the market in terms of value. And honestly, Bitcoin had a crazy nosedive. It went all the way to thirty thousand dollars, kind of its lowest point since January. So, quick hits on what happened, and I'll hand it off to Muhan. Number one thing, uh, it wasn't helpful that the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, said that um, they're no longer going to be accepting Bitcoin at Tesla because Bitcoin does not have um, all the efficiencies of, of mining and, and resources, et cetera. And that made Bitcoin go on a nosedive. On top of that, you have China uh, speaking out in the news that they're going to crack down not only on Bitcoin mining, but they're also going to trade or um crackdown on trading behavior. And so there's already a situation where China feels as though that they there's a there's a pull and tug between having digital currencies in China versus having regular fiat. And as we know, China does like to protect uh, things that are in their financial <laughs> well-being. And if they can't understand digital currencies, there will be no digital currencies that are legally able to be kind of traded and, and pursued there. And then I'll say the last thing that happened around the crypto crash, which things that happen typically during financial market kind of sell-offs. So number one, you probably have a lot of institutions who recently came into Bitcoin. They're a little skeptical. They know it's volatile. So they probably had stop loss 
boxes or limit orders, if you will, of, hey, we're going to sell if Bitcoin hits this price point. Well, after it drops 12 to 15% from Elon Musk, which is a pretty big drop, a lot of people probably started to sell off. As more institutions who are moving hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars through sell-offs, this is all automated, more institutions start to sell off. So that creates a tumble effect. Number two, with DeFi, decentralized finance, you have just like smart contracts that are written into kind of lending and borrowing platforms. And again, those all have kind of stop loss type of situations where if cryptocurrencies hit a certain price point, they automatically sell and liquidate the position. So that wasn't helpful either. And then lastly, you have retail folks, right? Folks who are afraid of prices dropping very quickly, folks who probably just got in post $30,000 um, in January, 2021. And those folks were selling off as well. So these domino effects really weren't helpful for, I think the entire ecosystem of education and people more adoption yet. Folks who are who have diamond hands and who are big believers are buying up. You know, I I was I have a lot of limit orders for <laughs> ETH twenty two hundred, ETH two thousand, ETH eighteen hundred, ETH seventeen fifty. Like if anything drops below there, you know, I'm I'm definitely picking up a few um, Ethereum. And I think it's it's an interesting place where you have people who are who are seeing this as a buying opportunity. And you have other folks who haven't jumped on the boat who potentially see this as, see, this is an example of why this isn't for all of us. But I think in the end, uh, we'll find out that not just Bitcoin, but all cryptocurrencies and crypto native opportunities and applications do really help um, the world move forward and help the folks who are overlooked and under underserved to get access to, to capital. Love that. Love that. Love that intro. And uh, love that recap for all of us, Brandon. One of the things that's really interesting is that certainly there is a lot of criticism of these alternative assets, right? In terms of individuals saying, oh, because of the stimulus check, oh, because people can't go out. So you're having uh, savings rates go up and then you're seeing dollars pump into these assets uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a historic rate. Personally, I believe that as the country becomes more opened up, right? We truly are, once we get to 70 to 80%, one of the things, uh, 70 to 80% vaccination, and to benchmark that, polio, the vaccine for polio only has about 92% vaccination, which is pretty good. But like, essentially, we don't think about polio in our day-to-day -day life. So once you're getting to the 70 to 80% for COVID, uh, we will be essentially in, uh, my, my, my go-to joke has been, uh, Anno Vaccini, in the year of the vaccine, exactly, AV instead of AD. And then BC was before Corona. <laughs> but anyway, so yes, so once once we get to 70 to 80% uh, vaccination rates, people will no longer be able to say like, hey, these things are only happening because of the pandemic. That's to me, what is very, very interesting to watch and tease apart, where certain trends that we thought would go away, right? Like remote work is not definitely not going away. Even once we go back to the office, people are very excited about going to the office. People are very excited about meeting up. I don't think there's anyone who says, oh, I really miss commuting five days a week from my suburb house to a downtown Manhattan office or whatever that miserable form of the commute is, right? It's all, hey, I want to do two to three days in the office or I want to have flex or we're actually going to be fully remote, but we're going to have one month offsite like every quarter, wh whatever that is. And so with crypto, I think you're seeing something similar as well. So yes, you have the fluctuation prices that are going on now, but this idea of 
are was cryptocurrency only going up because people were stuck indoors and they had money to burn? No, I think that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. What really was going on is uh, exactly to your point earlier, is that people are looking for alternative sources of value. There is genuine innovation happening in these distributed centralized um, financial innovation tools. And really, yes, on the hiccup, on the long road of the hiccup uh, of the, sorry, on the road to innovation, on the long road to innovation, you're going to have many hiccups. You're going to have many booms and busts, right? Warren Buffett has a very, very famous um, speech that he gave to all the tech executives in the late 90s about how almost every major innovation has actually been a financial uh, bloodbath for the investors in the first few waves. But that doesn't mean that those things are going away. Like airplanes aren't going away. Radio isn't going away. Cryptocurrency isn't going away. To tie that in kind of with teasing apart what is specific about the pandemic and what is now in many ways kind of life after the pandemic, right? We're not quite there yet. We're not at 75%. We're not at 60% yet, but we, we can see within a striking distance within the next two to four months of getting there is a lot of this fear about inflation. So uh, you guys have been hearing about it. And so uh, your, 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 your intrepid host has decided to go into all the numbers and all the Federal Reserve fun, fun, fun adventures. So here's the numbers, gentlemen. So inflation is at 4.2% year over year in April, which really is the highest it's been since 2000, September of 2008. Great. Let's sync that in for a moment. 4.2% inflation sounds pretty bad. For those of us uh, for those of us who uh, kind of follow, who don't follow the Federal Reserve liturgy in canon all the time, you actually don't want 0% inflation in a society, generally speaking. Now, I've studied economics. I have many friends who love all that stuff. You know, you can go Austrian economics, oh, blah, blah, blah. I don't want anyone to have a monopoly over my currency. But the realities are that for all intents and purposes, the government wants to stimulate a mild amount of inflation every single year because they want to put those assets into productive investments. That's really what they're trying to do. So the Federal Reserve actually targets about 2% inflation year over year. And it's done really well at keeping it below 2% at around that rate for about 10 years. So cool. Hopping from 2% to 4%, not great, but also not how to say, uh, I do not think it's worth the calamity or um, the panic that I've, I've seen in some of my friends and some of the news, certainly. Now, what's really also interesting about this 4.2% inflation is that the biggest contributor, this is from the, the Washington Post, the biggest contributor to the inflation numbers were used cars and trucks which rose 21% year over year as demand rises with reopening amid constrained supply. So think about that, right? Huh, people are getting more automobiles. Gas prices are increasing. We know that there was a Russian hack and that, that disrupted the supply of fuel here in the United States. But okay, uh, travel is back up. You know, Brandon, you just had a wonderful weekend back in Miami. It's interesting because- I got a full schedule. I got- I got a full schedule. Well, I meant like in general, man. I, I meant to mention that I have like seven trips lined up now. <laughs> Post-COVID, like we're back to normal, man. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and so that's the interesting thing though, right? Like, Brandon, is that bad for the economy? No, we've been wanting, you know, all of us to spend and productively use those assets, whether to make meaningful connections, to see people, to, you know, meet new startup ecosystems, however you want to say it. Those are all dollars that are being used productively. Now, rental car companies, airplane companies, fuel companies, you know, they haven't been able to increase their supply to meet the demand 
because it's all coming back so quickly, right? Demand is in this case much, much, much more volatile. Just like the CDC just suddenly said, hey, you know, masks can be off. Hey, you know, things are back to normal. Suddenly we're seeing these numbers. We we went from 25% vaccination rate to 50% vaccination rate, uh, more or less in two months that I didn't know that before I was prepping for this podcast, but that those are stunning numbers, truly, truly, truly stunning numbers. Um, and in terms of, again, putting that percentage into comparison, sure, Israel is doing better. Sure. The United Kingdom is doing better from a percentage basis, but from an absolute number of adults being vaccinated shots in arms, we are, we are doing a stunning job. And so I think that that is actually also causing a lot of people's concerns where they're like, Oh, we are recovering and getting the, the, the pandemic under control much faster than we expected from a vaccination rate standpoint. Um, so further from the inflation standpoint, right, we've got 4.2, that's the number that grew. 2% is what the Federal Reserve normally targets. Uh, most of the inflation, not the most of the inflation, the biggest contributor to the inflation numbers are cars. And then um, gas is also a uh, big uh, concern because of the disruption in the supplies. And again, just to put that last portion of this into context, so inflation was really the scare of the United States kind of in the 70s, right? So for context, uh, if you guys remember whip inflation now, Gerald Ford, you know, shout out to my US history teacher for, you know, that random tidbit, but the inflation was at six to 7% that. And during the, the Middle East oil crisis in the 1973 and the embargo, inflation was at 7% and it hit double digits in 1974 and 1979. So I give those numbers to say, of course, we do not want to approach that. Yes. It's not great that we did not foresee this increase in inflation. However, with all the context of suddenly we are doing really well on vaccination, suddenly demand is going up, you've got the seven trips that are booked, and certainly, you know, we are all excited to get back as the weather gets warmer. So is it really that surprising that the supply has not been able to meet the demand because the real world is much trickier than theoretical economic models? Of course. And so my personal read, having like gone through all this data, looked at all this, is that sure, there will be some inflation. Uh, you will see that again, primarily in transportation, as those are the supplies that are kind of the most inelastic to adjust to in uh, consumer demand. But also, like Brandon, are you going to be taking seven trips in December of 2021? Like, maybe not, right? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and so, this is not <laughs> this is not like a permanent inflation. Oh gosh, you know the the, the screams are the, the the ceilings are falling. Um, but I'm curious, you know, now that I've shared that data, gentlemen, for both of you, does that check out with what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, and your interpretation of um, kind of the latest numbers? Yeah, it all makes sense. Super helpful walkthrough, Muhan. Um, I think one of the things, two, two of the things that you said <clears throat> that are top of mind for me. First and foremost, the inflation that we've seen was uh, a direct impact from a lot of the uh, federal monetary policy of, of printing uh, additional U.S. dollars in response to the pandemic. That that was the initial uh, catalyst or spark uh, for this recent wave of inflation. Forty percent of all U.S. dollars uh, that are in circulation today have been printed in the last 12 months, which is an, an, an insane to think about. A risk for future inflation is if that type of monetary policy uh, from a political standpoint continues. So, you know, the Biden uh, jobs and infrastructure uh, proposal and bill that's in Congress right now actually was just trimmed from you know 2.3 trillion to 1.7 trillion. Um, you know I I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that continues to drop. The secondary aspect of this that I think is interesting, and you you hinted at this with your your comments around transportation and travel. The the desire for services for goods for for traveling, a lot of that demand is just being pulled forward. 
uh, and it is in is you know reaching an inflection point at, at this given moment in time it'll be really interesting to see how long that lasts and what happens on the other side you'll likely have a crash or a readjustment in a lot of prices once that initial inflection of demand uh, occurs I mean, we, we see this happen all the time and I actually looping back to crypto I actually think that's what happened in the cryptocurrency markets you know there, there's always a catalyst as you mentioned um, whether it's Elon Musk tweeting whether it's China cracking down down on uh, mining uh, think things of that nature but in reality uh, anytime uh, an asset uh, inflates and, and appreciates in value so dramatically so quickly um, there are going to be pullbacks like that that are actually quite healthy uh, for it um, so you know while while demand may have been pulled forward for some of the cryptocurrency coins that we know and love and and certainly travel and used cars and and the other great reopening reopening categories um i I would tend to agree with you muhan i don't think inflation um is here to stay um if anything i I think we may enter uh over the next few years uh, a period of deflation as things become more uh centralized around cryptocurrency and the reason bitcoin and ethereum and other coins have their value is because there is a limited scarce number of coins in supply, right? It is fixed. It is programmed into it. There's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoins. So not that Bitcoin is going, not that everything is going to be run on Bitcoin, but using that as an example. If the world, if you believe the world is continuing to trend in a direction towards cryptocurrency uh, or, or towards uh, the blockchain uh, as a as financial infrastructure backbone, um, then in fact, uh, it is impossible to just print more Bitcoin, right? That that will become uh, an impossible aspect of it. So the last thing I'll say that I think is quite interesting about the, the crash in, in China's actions in particular, I, the U.S. dollar today is the world uh, reserve currency, for, for lack of a better term. Um, but there have been several world reserve currencies over, over history. Um, it, it used to be um, in the 1700s, it was the Dutch, then it was the English pound, um, and, and now it's the dollar. Um, certainly the Chinese want the Chinese yen to be the world's reserve currency, and there is a growing geopolitical struggle between the United States and China. I think that is well known, and um, you would both agree. But I think there is a risk or an opportunity for a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin to become the world's reserve currency that is decentralized, that is not controlled by any one geopolitical power. That being said, I think China knows that is a potential outcome, and they want to control it. They want to try and control as much of the mining and the hash rates and the, the Bitcoin in supply as, as, as much as possible. So not to introduce a conspiracy theory on the pod here, that's not the intention. But I think the, the closing comment for me is when China flexes its muscles around uh, limiting mining or regulating um, c- cryptocurrency exchanges or the flow of goods and services in their country, that is just another way for them to try and control and maintain power over uh, a potentially very powerful uh, decentralized cryptocurrency that could become the world's reserve currency. So I'm not surprised that the price dropped. Still a big believer in Bitcoin. I think you'll still see 100K Bitcoin this year. You'll still see 10K Ethereum this year. Bars. Those are bold bars there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about 100K Bitcoin, 10K Ether. I think in closing, and then we can do, go to winners, losers, and content. I agree with, with what both of you guys said around, basically, essentially, there's pent-up demand that is 
has has never been seen for real estate, for cryptocurrencies, for tech stocks, et cetera. And what COVID has done is fast forward all these industries 10 plus years. So you have a once in a century pandemic, which is like the outlier of outliers. And then it pushes all industries 10 years in six months. They'll push them 10 years in six months. And now you have all of our structures and, and all of the strategies and all the, the, the typical technology tools that we use can't handle all of that momentum of 10 years in fucking six months. So I do think there's a healthy need for corrections and for folks to kind of like sit back and realize like, what are we doing? How do we think about this? Um, and then also even from like a health perspective, like how do I think about what makes me happy mentally, physically, emotionally, et cetera. So with all that happening so fast, the world just is just taking its time to kind of take it all in, whether it be the U.S. or whether it be other countries and then whether it be our financial systems or, or companies. But net net, if you believe that we'll figure it out because people are just, again, Darwinism, like we survive because we become even more fit, whether it be physically or mentally, I would bet on a currency like Bitcoin, I would bet on crypto native platforms. Um, I would bet on corrections all the time and buying those corrections, potentially participating in those corrections and adding it to um, whatever positions that you may have and whatever investments you are you are excited about. Uh, well, cool. Uh, I think we're all set to kind of jump into winners, losers in content. I will go through my three first. Winner number one is Robert Smith and Cisco. Cisco just gave $150 million to his student freedom innovation, uh, or sorry, student freedom initiative, where he's literally going to be financing with this capital. He almost, it seems as though he's going to be using it as somewhat of an endowment where he's going to help uh, finance 500 people to go to historically backed colleges every single year. And I assume he might be able to pull this into some type of a giving pledge where like Bill Gates and all these folks do where they give away whatever 50% um, of their, of their uh, wealth before they die. This is way better. Like if you can start to give away hundreds of millions of dollars, which is like means nothing to you when you're a billionaire and also as like a corporate institution, this could literally save and change lives for people to go to school for free and to be financed and to have, I assume, um, access to companies like Cisco, access to people like Robert Smith. This is a big game changer. And I even sent it to the team at Harlem Capital. I was like, in the future, we'll love to have some of our LPs. Uh, we have LPs like, like Apple and Bank of America and PayPal. We would love to have like a Harlem Capital Foundation where we're doing initiatives and things like this, and you you're using your platform for for good. So that's super exciting. Uh, loser of the week, I think, is very obvious. Bill Gates, my man, has been drugged all through media, up, down, around town, every podcast, every headline, and it's just I feel bad for the guy. And he crossed the wrong woman. All right, it's very clear that he did something wrong. Uh, Jeff. And uh, his wife just split and she became the richest woman in the world and they were cool. Bill Gates and Melinda, they're not on good terms. <laughs> so Bill, man, I hope, 
I hope you're all right, man. I, I most likely will see you the next time in Miami at Live on Sunday. We'll we'll probably pop a bottle too. Appreciate you. And then content wise, I had two on the content side. Number one, I just watched the Nas documentary on Netflix. It is from 2014, but it recently came to Netflix a little while ago. If you're a big hip hop head and you love New York and you love kind of like rags to riches stories and you think that Nas is just like one of the best lyrical folks out there, this is an amazing documentary for you to check out. And then number two, speaking to our crypto, uh, talking about crypto today, this is something I read like a few months back. So Fred Urshan, who is one of the co-founders of Coinbase, he has it in his Twitter bio. It's a three page paper about how do you approach crypto cycles? And there's been a few crypto cycles, 20, 2011, 2013, 2017, which was crypto winter. And I'm just gonna read just like some of the bullet points and then pass it off. So he was just saying, what are his ob observations from crypto cycles? Highly emotional, attract massive public attention. Um, they wash out weak companies, draw a lot of uh, regulatory attention and they push infrastructure to the limit. I think we're seeing all these things already. And then he was talking about like what creates resiliency, how can you be resil resilient during cycles? And it's just like leading by example, keeping the main thing, the main thing, I love this, keep first things first. I love those type of principles, stress test your, your checklist. Um, and then he even talks about if you're a company in this space, continue, or sorry, consider fundraising caution any newcomers um, and repeat this message multiple times. <laughs> He's like, repeat, repeat, repeat. And I think this is for folks who are in crypto, who are thinking about getting into the space or even think about real estate or tech, start, tech startups that you're starting to invest in. You have to have essentially diamond hands. You have to be a hodler. You have to believe that whether the company price of Tesla is 200 or if it's 900, you believe in what Elon Musk and his platform is building. And obviously you have some things to iterate and like determine of if you should liquidate this position, but just the price itself should not just make you scared because markets are irrational in general, right? So feel free to check out Fred Ersham. He's the co-founder of Coinbase, has a, an amazing crypto investment fund now, and it's called How to Survive a Crypto Cycle. If you are in crypto or looking to learn, I think this is like really good information, really good reading, and it's only three pages. Uh, but that's it on my side. That is fantastic, Brendan. Thank you so much for sharing. I actually just found it here on uh, Chrome, and I look forward to reading it uh, after we are done with this recording here. For winners, losers, and content on my side, on winners, I would like to shout out the FT Exchange, uh, founded by Sam Bankman-Fried. They have just announced a intention to raise $1 billion at a $20 billion valuation. And, you know, raising capital is great. You know, Brandon, you, you, you know something about raising very, very large, impressive amounts of money. That is very, but you also know that, you know, raising the money is just the beginning. After you raise the money, you actually have to go and deliver. And so that's actually not what I'm shouting out FTX for. I'm shouting them out for their incredibly resilient system. Um, so they are this large crypto um, and just exchange for all forms of trading. And so that actually leads in really well to my losers of the week, which is uh, all the other crypto exchanges that crashed <laughs> during this bloodbath. Yeah, so that does include Coinbase, that does include Voyager, that does include Robinhood. 
all these places that took you know hours was to ftx fully operational the entire time wow time. i didn't yes. know that and i didn't see any content around it. i'm surprised they didn't it's okay. promoted or at least someone else did I will tell you this. I mean, it's actually been another week for Sam Bankman-Fried because Solana just got listed on Coinbase. So there. Wow, yeah. I didn't see that. I, I was just looking you, at brother. Solana. It said it didn't say tradable. Maybe I was looking just like two days ago. Oh, I will say this. I will say this. Sorry, you are correct. They are now available. I didn't actually know this. They are now available on Coinbase Pro. So there's like mm. a fancy trader version, but it's free. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. It's like, you don't- Oh, pay I use Coinbase Pro. All my limit orders I mentioned earlier are on Coinbase Pro. There you go, there you go, there you go, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So Solana is not available for retail Coinbase yet, but if you go to Coinbase Pro, you can trade um, Solana. So that's those are all recent developments. But to say, absolutely, their system had no downtimes. And, um, you know, I, 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 I've, I've mentioned it a few weeks ago, but I would say definitely keeping- keeping a pair of eyes on what anything Sam Bankman-Fried touches um, is relevant. I do see them, you know, increasingly competing against the NASDAQs and the, the other crypto exchanges in terms of uptime. But um, in terms of uh, curbing my crypto and really going to my content, I have to say, guys, uh, this might be a little um, out of left field for me because I normally only use free <laughs> audiobooks from the library. I've been listening to Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, his Audible original. And it is excellent. It's actually funny, to be honest. I normally don't think of uh, Trevor Noah as like purely from the videos I've seen. I haven't found him that that funny as a comedian, but his autobiography is just very, very sharp. And it's it's such a wonderful blend of humor, but also incredible personal narrative combined with just this context of, you know, the the, the birth of a new nation of South Africa, kind of transitioning from that 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 very very um, particular legacy. So. Um, if anyone's got you know a free Audible credit, um, looking for a good read, heavily recommend it. Trevor Noah is an incredible performer, and really that book has been um, just been such a such a delight for me, uh, especially when I'm coming off the back of some really dry nonfiction <laughs> books that I normally read. So passing it off. Th that book is fantastic. I've read it as well. Muhan um, would definitely recommend it. Anyone who uh, wants to feel a even more appreciative of their upbringing um, and, and have a lot of that put into context, uh, give it a read. On my end, for winners of the week, surprised no one mentioned it so far, Elon Musk hosting SNL. Uh, this was a cultural moment. This was the richest, one of the most powerful men in the world um, making a fool of himself in a good way. You know, I think a lot of people had comments on his performance and comparing it to other comedians and, and actors, which I don't think is really apt. Um, I, I can't think of another CEO of a publicly traded company, uh, any anyone that would be of his level of fame and wealth, putting themselves, sub, subjecting themselves to kind of that level of comedy. Uh, but I thought he did a great job. And if anything, I thought it was a great PR hit for him. You know, people um, probably left with a better impression of Elon Musk than a worst, a, a worst impression is my, is my take. On the loser side, um, I love innovation. I love experiments, but sometimes they always don't work out. The NBA playoffs are upon us, and the NBA decided to, to have a new play-in format, which was very interesting. So if you were the 7 and the 8 seed, you no longer got in automatically. You had to have a play-in game. And at first, it looked like this might be a positive experiment. The Warriors played the Lakers, and 5.6 million people tuned in. It was the most-watched NBA game in the past two years. However... The Warriors last night ended up losing to the Memphis Grizzlies, and now they are out of the playoffs. 
that normally the Warriors would have been in the playoffs had the regular playoff format been maintained. So that's part of the game, a, brother. That's part that? of the game, though. That that's all part of the game. That is why you play the game because you wouldn't. I, I think for this season, it may not be as um, how do I call it? it? It may not be as helpful this season. But when Duke loses to a freaking twelve seed in the NCAA, it's like, damn, man, I gotta wait all the way till next year. Pent up demand. Right. Or the same thing with uh, with Steph. It's like, wow, Steph literally is going to be MVP of the season. He didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> I, I think long term the plan has potential, but I think, you know, certainly sure. There's a there's a one one time bump for a game where people are excited to see LeBron play Steph and there's drama around that. But now everyone has to watch the Utah Jazz play the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round, and no one's going to watch that series. Ratings are going to crater. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens long-term brandon disagrees with me he's giving me a look on the pod but that's what this is all about i don't want to so. prop up i'm not propping up the nba because we're propping up this the only way to get new players like steph is to put new players on the floor and if steph wants to stay on the floor he got to win a game <laughs> we'll leave it at that and for my content of the week startup a netflix drama originally produced by crackle.com Shout out to Crackle. That's a bit of a throwback. This was produced in 2016, similar to Brandon's recommendation of the Nas documentary. This is new to Netflix. It was just uh, it was just put onto the platform. But if you love cryptocurrency, if you love money laundering gangs, and if you love Miami, then this show might be for you. So I've uh, gone through season one, and I'm on season two right now. There's three seasons out, and uh, it's got a little bit of everything for everyone. So. Uh, check out Startup on Netflix as your content recommendation of the week. And with that, I'll close, gentlemen. Uh, this has been another episode, a great episode, of the First Money In podcast, uh, the podcast for knowledge seekers and risk takers. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, and reminder, feel free to give us a like, give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or however you may be listening. And feel free to share the podcast with a friend or two. And from Brandon Smooth Jazz Bryant, Muhan Jung, Mr. COO, the operative himself, and myself, the Spaceman. We'll see you all next week.